Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another episode of the UConn Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm here with Dan Connolly and Dan Madigan. Uh, just like all of college sports, the UConn Pod had to take a little bit of a break due to circumstances outside of our own control, but we're back and excited to chat Husky sports with y'all. Um, I mean, diving right into it, there's been so much great stuff going on with the men's basketball team, wonderful momentum. Dan Hurley dropping great quotes in athletic articles um, and some wins on the recruiting trail. So uh, two big wins in Tyrese Martin, a uh, transfer from URI and Adama Sonogo, who's a big that uh, declassified down from 2021 and will be joining the Huskies uh, as soon as sports get started back up, whenever that may be. Um, Yeah. So what do you guys, how do you guys feel about these pickups? I mean, both, both good for different reasons, I'd say. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about the pickups. I think, uh, you know, Martin just is going to bring some guard depth that, you know, between losing Altery Gilbert and Christian Vital, uh, that's going to give, a you know, some depth that UConn really needs. I don't think Martin is going to be a world beater. Uh, he's not really a strong three-point shooter, but he does a good job of getting to the basket. You know, he, he said he can score at any level, which, you know, we'll see as UConn goes to the Big East, but... Uh, I think he's going to be, he's going to provide some much needed size. He's six six, some experience, you know, get in some full game. You are, and he has a connection with Hurley already. So, um, I, I think that's a pretty solid addition. And whether he's eligible this year or for 2021, 2022, um, he's going to be, a, you know, a bench piece that's going to be able to contribute a lot, much like Brendan Adams does now. But I think he'll kind of compliment Adams. And for Sonogo, I think Sonogo is just one of those guys that, first off, if UConn, you know, isn't in the Big East, they're still playing in the American, uh, that the guy that UConn does not get. Those are the guys that Kevin Ali tar- targeted for years and years and years. And we can, you know, talk about Ali in another podcast, but there's some other external factors related to the American Athletic Conference that was a big reason why they weren't landing a lot of those guys. Um, Hurley snatched Sonogo right from Seton Hall. He's going to be one of those guys where he's a rebounding freak. He's got kind of the bigger frame. He, he's not huge. He's not like Javante Brown Ferguson, uh, who you know we'll probably touch on later. But he's a rebounding freak. He's got good size. He's like 6'9", 240. Um, this is a lofty comparison, but it seems like there's some Jeff Adrian vibes going on there. So, um, you know, he's got a long way to go before he's a Jeff Adrian type of player. But if he can bring even rebounding energy off the bench for, you know, five, 10 minutes while a cook is recovering from injuries and, you know, if Isaiah Whaley or Josh Carlton gets into foul trouble, that's going to be a big impact that, you know, we'd be, UConn would be hard pressed to find, um, on the recruiting trail and the transfer market for the class 2020. So, Getting into reclassify was a big win for Hurley. Yeah, and I think I've mentioned this before, but in those last years of the Ali era, it seemed like he was just kind of collecting talent, whereas you can really see how Hurley's building a team where all these pieces are fitting in together to form one unit and with one plan in mind. And I think you definitely see that in both Martin and in Sonogo because Martin, you get a veteran presence, a guy who's going to make an immediate impact that, fills a void that they need for next season but doesn't hold up a scholarship long term and then a guy like Sonogo you get a very talented player get him up into the class of 2020 
and you add some front court depth, which as UConn's learned over the last few years, you can never have too many good front court players. So I think just they're both really savvy pickups to continue building the program to where it used to be. Yeah, and so I think we should just talk about that for a second, right? So what do we think about that new class that's coming into for men's basketball this year between Javante Brown-Ferguson, uh, Brown-Ferguson, Andre Jackson, Sonogo, and then also, you know, they were with the team last year, but were sitting out due to either transfer reasons or for academic uh, redshirt reasons with RJ Cole and Richie Springs. Um, Connolly, you want to just kind of run through what your thoughts are? I mean, I think Jackson is widely regarded as a crown jewel. He jumped up like 40 or 50 some odd spots in pretty much every major recruiting ranking uh, in their final edition for 2020. So what do you think? Yeah, well, Maddie, and you mentioned they don't get Sonogo if they're not in the Big East. Andre Jackson explicitly said if UConn wasn't going back to the Big East, he wasn't even going to consider them. He was probably going to go to Syracuse. So, yeah, I think it's a really good class, and I think it really represents the changing of the guard from a Dan Hurley team with Kevin Ollie's players, which the last few years, for the most part, have kind of been. Whereas, I mean, five new players, this is pretty much going to be completely Dan Hurley's team with the exceptions of Josh Carlton, Isaiah Whaley, and Tyler Polly, I believe. So it's interesting to see how the program's going to go. Obviously, it's been heading in a good direction anyways, but it, I'm really excited to see how quickly the program can continue making steps now that Hurley's guys himself are here. And, and one of the other good things that Hurley did was these guys who are joining the team, they're all coming in in, <clears throat> in different classes, right? So you got R.J. Cole as a junior uh, Martin will be a, a redshirt sophomore. So it's not all you're not uh, turning over the roster just with uh, an in, influx of freshmen. He's done it with transfers. And oh, hey, by the way, using the full allotment of scholarships, which um, again, another difference from the previous regime and uh, always good to have um, depth. I mean, I think that's that's really the greatest thing that we've seen also just in terms of the impact um of production is is when you've got a full roster um an injury is not like debilitating for a team and hopefully that's something that'll play out for the huskies uh if there's a season uh, this upcoming year yeah and we talked about that a lot right we always i think a lot of things we said with last year's team was you know there there's actually some some substantial depth here to this team and obviously you know tyler Polly got hurt um Alterique was in and out sometimes due to some personal issues. Uh, and, you know, a cook went down later on, but the team was still able to play competitive basketball and actually finish the season, you know, before all this virus stuff popped up, which, you know, we don't need to get into that, but um, they were playing really good basketball and they had a real chance at making a run in the AAC tournament. Who knows, you know, probably weren't going to make the, the NCAA tournament, but you never know with the way they were playing. So uh, that depth thing is a big factor. And, you know, we'll see how the, the freshmen kind of integrate. I, I think I saw somewhere that JBF was kind of pegged as a potential redshirt candidate. Um, you know, he's not even on campus yet, so who knows what's actually going to happen. But whenever UConn basketball is back, I'm looking forward to seeing a lineup with RJ Cole, Book Knight, Andre Jackson, a cook, a cook, and Tyler Polly. I think that's going to be, you know, an electric lineup, a lot of length, a lot of athleticism, and you know, that's something that we haven't seen at UConn basketball. We saw glimpses of it last year when a cook was playing the five before he got hurt, but that's going to be a lineup that I think is really going to take the big East by storm could be, you know, a sign of how things are going to be for years to come. Yeah. I saw, uh, I saw from the athletic article that came out today that uh, 
JBF's at a, a standing a solid seven foot one, so that's good. You need you need tall people to do well. Um, I uh, I was thinking the same thing too. It was just like with with all the good things going on, you want the season to happen so badly, but uh, who knows? But lots of hype, a lot of things moving in the right direction for them. It honestly feels like a lot of the UConn teams are kind of in that boat where it's like you don't want next season to get canceled because it's going to be a really exciting season, which I don't know, maybe if it happened any season, just to go off on a bit of a tangent, you've got men's basketball, but then women's basketball is obviously super interesting with their freshman class and Paige Beckers. And then hockey on paper has its best roster ever coming in next year. And so I, it just feels like this year more than any others, there's so much excitement towards next season, which now might not even happen but anyways yeah well and we haven't even covered the the excitement aspect of the fact that obviously they're returning to the big east so right we'll right the about, unspoken yeah we'll, we'll care about going to road games we'll have uh visitors at our home games um it'll be an actual college basketball environment again and i think um you can't sleep on like what that did and does for the for the psyche and the excitement uh, around games it's so it was so obvious any of our games against Villanova Georgetown Syracuse in the AAC days <clears throat> were the most meaningful games to us on the schedule it's just uh, good to get those in conference play now it feels so good to say that like in the AAC days that it's in the past you know yeah. like we're, we're five weeks away from not having to talk about like UConn, a current member of the American Athletic Conference, like mm-hmm. it's it's done, it happened, it sucked, it's over. UConn's going to the Big East. It's going to be better. And that is the one good thing about coronavirus ending sports was that it ended UConn's run in the AAC uh, a couple months early for us. So, uh, graciously, I think our final game was the women's basketball conference tournament championship. Is that? Yeah, which if it, it's a pretty good way for UConn to go, it's a pretty fitting way for UConn to go out in the AAC, yeah. in the crap out of another AAC team and winning the AAC title. That's good. I'm glad our boys did not suffer the indignity of playing a conference men's basketball tournament in Fort Worth, Texas, at Dickey's Arena. That was the first game too, right? That was going to be the that was the first game of the day. That was yeah, the twelve o'clock, right? I think they were about they were they were within shouting distance of tip off. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, women's basketball uh, had a lot of fun going on. I saw Gino on Instagram, but uh, the other thing we we got to see online was the WNBA draft go down. Uh, Connolly, you want to update us with uh, the latest Huskies from Gino's squad to make it over to the pros? So Megan Walker went ninth to the New York Liberty top 10 pick, first round pick. It's a good spot for her. She's going to join up with a handful of former UConn players, uh, Kian Stokes and Kia Nurse are there, along with Kelly Schumacher, a former center, is now one of their assistant coaches. She also gets to play with Sabrina Ionescu, who I think is pretty much every basketball player's dream. So I think it's a really good spot for her. I think she'll be able to kind of adjust to the league slowly, like – the entire world's not going to be put on top of her. And even just with UNESCO being there, all the expectations that come with being a first round pick from the fan base and just all those general expectations that come with it aren't going to be squarely on her because 
there's another first round pick there who is arguably the most well-known women's collegiate basketball player in the world right now. And then Crystal Dangerfield also ended up in a great spot with the Minnesota Lynx, rejoining with Nafisa Collier. It was funny, a few days before the draft, it came out that Nafisa Collier was jokingly uh, lobbying Lynx head coach Cheryl Reeve to pick Dangerfield, and then eventually Dangerfield ends up there. And uh, Reeve said after the draft that she actually let some of her players sit in, and Collier was showing like a huge interest in the draft, was asking them who they were going to pick, kind of going through the whole process. So Reeve let her sit in and when it got to their 16th pick, when the links were going to go and Dangerfield was still on the board, Reeve actually opened up the zoom call to Collier to kind of explain who Dangerfield was and basically pitch it to the front office. So a little bit of an assist to Collier on that. So both players ended up where they wanted to after the draft, which is what they said. And I think both are in good spots for them to succeed. Nice. I think that's great. Uh, Megan Walker in particular uh, going to be playing close by, so Husky fans will be able to see her and, and, and a few other Huskies. What's the um, total now of, of Huskies in the WNBA? So depending on how you count it, it's 19 or 20. It's 20 if you count Moore, who's set at the last two seasons, but she's still technically under contract with the Lynx, so um, – We'll let it go. And then there's two assistant coaches too, Kelly Schumacher, who I mentioned, who's maiden name is Reimer now, and then Asia Jones with the Washington Mystics. So That's awesome. Plus we got Swin Cash in the front office of the New Orleans Pelicans over in the NBA. They're killing it out there. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's unfortunate that what was going to be a really interesting postseason for the women's basketball team got canceled as well. Um We've resorted to having to watch Gino Ariema's new Instagram live show. Uh, I know, Connolly, you've, you've been keeping up. What have been some of the highlights from that? Yeah, I find it interesting how sports to watching in live tweeting Instagram lives. That's just where we are now. Um, but at the same time, it's a good thing because it kind of gives you insight into a lot of players and coaches and just people that, we really hadn't seen before. Like, these are some pretty inside glimpses of what Gino's like off the court. Like, obviously, he have much Nona. Like, what you see is what you get. But just kind of the behind the scenes stuff. I mean, in his last live, he talked about his work life balance and how basketball isn't his entire life, and he makes sure to kind of keep the two separate and just kind of talked about how he builds the program and, and how he kind of looks at himself as like the CEO of a business because a lot of people look at a women's basketball team and they see the coaching staff and the players and then maybe the trainers and the managers, but it's really a huge operation. It's probably like 50 support staff behind the scenes, including the coaches, the trainers, the academic advisors, the basketball operations people, equipment people. It's a really big group, and Gino is really in charge of managing all that because he's the head of the program. So it, it was interesting to hear about those things. Obviously, you get the behind-the-scenes stories, and it's also just cool to see his relationship with some of his former players and how he interacts with each one differently. But at the same time, there's similarities in all those relationships as well. So I think for where we are in the world right now and the lack of sports, I think it is really cool to be able to 
get these looks behind the curtain at all these different people. Good to get, good to get behind the curtain of Gino, you know, really interesting guy, but, um, you've, you've been able to be in touch with a few other, uh, members of the college basketball world, uh, through this. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? I believe it was two nights ago. Um, when Gino was having his Instagram live, he was on with Chloe Pavlik, who used to be an grad assistant at UConn and is now working for overtime. So she asked him the question that a lot of people have wondered since the end of the season is if there was a season, who do you think would have won the national championship? And then alternatively, if he thought that someone should get the national championship anyways, and he called it really stupid which it is to think that anyone deserves this national championship trophy. So as I was doing, I live tweeted it and somehow the most thin skinned, soft coach in all of college basketball, all of college sports, honestly, like it's an embarrassment. Don Staley somehow finds my tweet and quote tweets it with the most incoherent sentence of like, it made absolutely no sense. So the tweet, was for me Gino on South Carolina crying which they were they were crying for the national championship trophy Don Staley was literally tweeting at anyone who would listen which is really not that many people because nobody cares about this was tweeting saying we're the number one team at the end why don't we get the trophy and oh God, it was the most ridiculous thing and South Carolina head coach the head coach of a major women's basketball program with a national championship that they won. Like, they won that one fair and square. They're still crying for another one. She goes, last women standing when the bottom fell out, Gamecocks women's basketball, followed with, argue with the alcohol. What does that mean? What is argue? Is this a cry from help from Dawn Staley? Does she- did, they, um, did they win the SEC championship? I believe so, yeah. Maybe she was saying they, they popped champagne on the last day, and, and so therefore, I'm making that up. I don't know. I'm... Anyway, South Carolina sucks, and they're never going to win another national championship, and they're an embarrassment of a program. And uh, Don Staley's a fraud. That's really not that good of a coach. And um, He's coaching USA basketball. Yeah, which sucks. They're probably going to lose a gold medal soon. Well, I guess we were we were gonna find out, but there's no Olympics, so. Don Staley's probably gonna say they deserve the gold medal. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the logical conclusion. This is worse yeah. than when like the Kenosha Post Gazette would like say Michigan was the best football team in 1915, and now they get to hang a banner for it. Like we need to go through and see if we can do that for UConn. Like if the current said they were the best team in New England, and just raise yeah. a banner. There's got to be a football title somewhere, somewhere in the, in the yeah, history, but, uh, yeah. They went undefeated in like 1924. All right, hang the banner. What a claim! But yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it, the weird part to me. You know, okay, whatever. You dropped that in an interview on March. You know, whenever it was, March 15th, April 6th, whatever it was. Okay, you're kind of like bummed out. The season ended. You you say something like, oh. You know, maybe we should be named the national champions. It kind of floated out there. And, you know, you take the wave of response that comes when you declare yourself a national champion after not winning a national championship game. You do get some blowback. Um, 
The weird part would be that she would find your tweet, quote tweet it, and say, yes, yes, months later, I still believe we deserve the a claim to the national title. It's actually worse than UCF claiming a 2017 football title, which is impressive because I never thought I'd saw I'd see some something sillier in terms of claiming a national title, but in the modern era, but here we are. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like I I guess Dan, what you're saying is right too. Like the pedigree or whatever that South Carolina has, they've won a national championship. They are a legitimate, you know, title contender, um, or they have been in the past. But like if this was NC State, right? They had a really good year this year. If they finished the year number one, and then they, you know, they said, you know, we could have been the the champion. Like we should have been the champion. We we were the best team. I could see that more because they don't. They haven't done it. They don't know. They, you know, they can say whatever they want. But yeah, it's, it's kind of weird that they that Don Staley's out there on Twitter, like gunning for another title from the media when it's it's just you know they didn't play the game. It sucks. It, it sucks that there was no tournament. Everyone is mad that there was no NCAA tournament. But like claiming random national titles isn't going to make it better. Yeah, they're a second-rate program. And, I mean, it shouldn't be overlooked that their one national championship was a fluke either because they beat a Stanford team that had a bunch of injuries in that game to get to yeah. the national championship and then beat Mississippi State, who had absolutely no business being in the final. And I, the game doesn't need to be played. If UConn ended up in the final against South Carolina in 2016-17, they could have played that game a 1,000 times and UConn would have beaten them 2,000 times. Yeah, that's like there's a fact. zero chance UConn would have ever lost that national championship game. That's a zero. classic so, letdown da- game from Mississippi State too. Like they they just ran out of gas against. Like I, I was there and they just, you know, they were talented. They were hot. Like they were on a hot streak, but they just ran out of gas. Like all their momentum was from that UConn game. Understandably, you know, it was one of the one of the better games of the decade. But it was uh, you could tell that as it got later, they just were running out of steam, and South Carolina just kind of held on and and got the win. Well, and then, then Oregon, like, right. why are we just ignoring the fact that Oregon was by far the better team had by far the better players miles better, the better coach. I mean, like, if but also they, you, they were the favorites, they were the favorites for the national championship. Right. So. The only yeah. that, that South Carolina was ranked number one was just because of how college polls work. South Carolina had lost the furthest away. Like, it wasn't like they were like miles better than everyone else. They were just the team that hadn't lost in the longest. Like, I mean, I, I would put so much money on an Oregon South Carolina matchup in the NCAA tournament and Oregon winning in a series of seven. Yeah. Oregon had a, Oregon had a harder schedule too. I mean, that, that, that's some of it too, but like, I don't know. There's a lot of talk. Like I feel like it's pretty, pretty well regarded that Ionescu was, you know, by far away the best player. In, in the country this year. And then it was Hebert and Satu Sabali for, you know, as, as some of the other, you know, top five, seven, ten best players in the country, like South Carolina didn't really have anybody that could hang with that. And, you know, in a one game tournament, like you said, Dan, anything could happen, but you know, I'll take the odds of Oregon winning a title over South Carolina or any of the other teams that were really contenders. So yeah, uh, poor South Carolina, the tournament got canceled. Um, you know, I think the you know we we mentioned earlier that um, someone not named UConn was was likely to win that championship. So I guess good good for us that that didn't happen. Good for us that um, 
we got to play our last AAC game late. Another win that came out of this, Rutgers was about to make its first NCAA tournament for the first time in like 30 years, and the tournament got canceled this year. So, Silver linings. There, there is some silver lining here, folks. Well, you know, S- South Carolina, not only are they the inferior women's basketball program to UConn, but as was decided on the football field in the 2009 PapaJohns.com Bowl, UConn football is actually better than South Carolina football as well. I would like to point any Gamecock fans who would like to disagree with me to the scoreboard from that game. Uh, comfortable win for the UConn Huskies. I'm doing this out of memory. I think it's 30 to 7, but uh, we'll never know. Uh, no way of knowing. So don't fact check me on it. But um, UConn is better than South Carolina at football. And speaking of the football program, uh, despite many rumors of its demise and uh, of, of UConn giving up on football, uh, the Huskies were able to score for a TV deal for just the football program. They found, uh, they were able to land a deal with CBS Sports Network to put their, what, four four football games a year for three years on television, which is ideally where you want your sports programming to be if you're a fan hoping to watch or an athletic director making deals. But, um, you know, just score another one for David Benedict, right? Like he made this bold move with UConn, taking him to the Big East. He dealt with the blowback of, wow, independence is a death knell for the program. How many people How many people wrote the phrase death knell, uh, you know, like after, after that happened? He's put, a, he's put a good schedule together. And because of that good schedule, basically, he's been able to get a decent TV deal that is paying – some amount of American dollars. It's it's almost immaterial what it is, but it's it's an amount that's going to be help help them make up for uh, the loss of the AAC TV contract. Um, that was really one of the big big pins that we needed to drop, and and it happened, and it seems pretty good. Yeah, definitely. I think if you kind of look at what things were being said when UConn announced it was going independent and the comparisons that were made. I think the biggest comparisons were made as a football program to UMass. And then on the business side of things, everything was always going to be looked through through the lens of the AAC deal because it's pretty widely regarded at this point. That was the straw that broke the camel's back on UConn's move to the Big East, even though it wasn't necessarily the reason. So I guess if you start with that, UConn football has pretty objectively been a bottom five program in FBS for a while now. And it's great because you can just look up the road and look at the worst program in FBS at UMass. So really not that different of programs besides the fact that UConn has a little more FBS history a long time ago. But UMass is on Flow Sports from just all accounts, an absolutely horrific streaming service like one of the worst. They don't really draw at all. Their team is always horrible. UConn has been objectively terrible in football. I think it's four wins in the last three years. Not great. 
Who's counting? Right. So I think it just says a lot about the UConn brand because the fact that this bad of a program is still getting an, a linear TV deal to show its games. I mean, I think part of it is just an uh, low risk, high investment in, by CBS because if UConn football turns into what it was, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to go to another Fiesta Bowl, but if it can consistently be getting to bowls again, we've seen that UConn football fans are going to exist again and they're going to show up and they're going to fill the rent and people are going to tune in to watch. So if UConn even becomes competitive again, builds a fan base again, it's going to be huge for CBS Sports. And then you look at it through the lens of the AAC deal, a much, much better football conference is going to be stuck behind a paywall, whereas CBS Sports, for all its flaws, we're not saying it's the best sports network in the country, but it's linear television, and we know that UConn doesn't exactly have the most technologically advanced fan base, so the fact that it's on linear television is huge. Yeah, we've never said anything bad about CBS Sports, so we've always we've always loved that network. It's one of the best networks, I think. Um, but no, Dan, I, I do kind of disagree with what you're saying about the comparison to UMass football, I think it's, you know, it's a fair comparison, but like you said, there's always more interest in UConn sports in general than UMass sports. And that's not a knock on UMass. That's UMass being in Massachusetts where there's, you know, Boston teams, Harvard, Northeastern, BC, all that, all that junk. UMass is at the bottom of the barrel where UConn is the biggest fish in a small pond. Uh, and it's just always going to be that way. Um, but no, I, I think this is really, you know, Dave Benedict has done a lot of great things over the past, you know, what, six, eight, 12 months, especially. Um, but this might be his best work. Like, I, I think this is unbelievable what, what he's done here. And um, Dan, I know you were kind of going along saying that, you know, what if CBS, you know, what if UConn gets good? CBS locks out. And it's really even simpler than that. UConn can still be hot garbage for the next four years. <laughs> And which they might be, and CBS Sports Probably. is still going to do well. Yeah, there's kind of a galaxy brain version of this take uh, on Banner Society, where you know the title is like how UConn football can replace the SEC for CBS. But in all honesty, it doesn't really matter how UConn does; it matters who UConn is playing. UConn doesn't; they're not tied to any requirements. Even like Notre Dame, Notre Dame has to play the ACC five, six times a year. UConn has no requirements; they can play USC. BYU, Army, Navy, if they want, all of these big brands with big followings, they can put that on CBS Sports and people are going to tune into those games. It doesn't matter if UConn's own 12 and 0 in between. They're going to help David Benedict be in on brands, you know, other schools with huge followings. They're going to get $100,000 at most for each game, $500,000 a year, roughly. Uh, could put the you know the deal around four years two million that's probably a little higher but there's opportunities for cbs to maximize their investment uconn to play really 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 good teams or big name programs and you know etzel whoever the football coach is in you know x amount of years from now to recruit quality players because even if they're not winning games they're playing on national tv there's like 50 million um cbs sports is in 50 million homes they said roughly uh, they're playing national TV, big time opponents. That's going to help the program. Even with Edsel at the helm, he's going to stumble into a few quality recruits, I think, somewhere down the line. So I think this is, you know, when you put it in with the cost savings from not traveling with the AAC, 
the money from the Big East TV deal, which was already pretty much on par from what the AAC was getting. And, you know, the the way that the world is right now, we're literally in a pandemic. Things are being cut left and right. And Dave Benedict probably managed to get some sort of bidding war together, I imagine, because I, I'm very, you know, I was very confused at first that CBS Sports came out with this deal and not SNY. SNY was the easiest you know, they were they had to have been the front runners for this deal unless Benedict either shopped it around or CBS Sports came in and tried to tried to pry it off them and, and did because they just have more money. So um, given the circumstances, I think this is incredible and it could transform the program. And in, like you said, Dan, they're not winning a Fiesta Bowl. Um, they're not going to do that. They're, they're not going to be, you know, a perennial top 25 program, probably, but they're going to be better because of this deal. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. And they might be competitive uh, in and, this deal's why. And, and everyone else can be in the Big East, just like yep. they, they should be. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean, I think the money is a, you know, let, it does deserve a little bit of, of attention here, the, the money situation. So the Big East deal pays about $5 million per school. Madigan, you mentioned the, the travel savings, which they estimated at, at two million, so you're yep. already, you know, making it up there. Obviously, anticipating that you sell more tickets, you sell more merchandise, you have more donations coming in because people are excited. You're getting better recruits now. This is happening in all sports uh, because of how football scheduling has gone, and now the TV, right? Edsel mentioned that this is a good win for them on in recruiting as well. So you've got recruiting going up for both of them. So you got recruiting, you got the money looking about the same, but the Big East is about to sign its, a new deal. And you have to imagine that um, adding UConn and, and the audience that it brings is going gonna, is gonna to pay them more. Um, and, you know, just to kind of speak to like UConn football, like you mentioned, if, even if they're not that good, there still is a sizable fan base. You know, you're talking about your other options are to buy – freaking Sunbelt inventory, right? Like, so do more people watch UConn versus Purdue or do more people watch Florida Atlantic versus uh, UTSA? It's a a good decision. It's it's maximizing the value of the the UConn brand. And I think they still might be able to sell games to SNY because it's, there still is some football inventory left. So, I mean, financial upside is really there. And then one last thing that that does bear mentioning, even though we all promised to never talk about the AAC ever again, um, but their TV deal, it's it's going to get renegotiated. ESPN, yep. 1 million percent going back to the bargaining table with that. They thought they had UConn women's basketball for ESPN plus, you know, like that's a big deal for them. Uh, and and whatever else they were going to put on ESPN plus, but UConn's a big draw. So they're absolutely going back to the bargaining table. The AAC is absolutely going to have to double the length of the contract. So Mike Oresco can say billion again. And uh, the other thing we're not locked in for just to speak about contract length, this football contract is three years um, as opposed to being locked into the 10 year AAC deal of uh, four years. But the other thing I'm on that you mentioned was that, or that you didn't mention when you were talking about finances, is that there's money from buy games that are coming in too, and that's not going to be, you know, a huge check every single time around. But 
that's probably a million dollars at least that's on the docket for every year for the next, I think, three, four, five years that I can remember off the top of my head. Uh, that's that's not nothing. Um, that's basically an entire AAC yearly payout that we're getting from going down to Death Valley and Clemson and playing like that. That's a big deal, too, I think. And they don't have to produce the games themselves and pay for that. The CBS yep. Sports is taking care of the production, which wasn't the case with the AAC deal. Which David Benedict was savagely calling out in his in his announcement, uh, in his quotes about the deal. So no, that's that's totally true. And I think um, Chris Vanini from the Athletic kind of pointed out, but he just laid out all the other independent programs and and kind of like what their TV deal is. And again, like kind of like you mentioned, Colleen, I mean, comparing it to UMass, but even just all of them on that spectrum. UConn's done well for themselves, and uh, I mean, to, to be able to find a a source of optimism for UConn football, uh, that's uh, that's really impressive. So, and and Benedict has accomplished that once again, I think. Yeah, yeah. and that's a that's a fair deal for UConn and CBS Sports too. Like, if you look at the money and the exposure and all that, like UConn's very much not like a BYU or Notre Dame, even though UConn has beaten Notre Dame in football and is undefeated, legally obligated yeah. to mention that. The body count that UConn football has is unbelievable between like South Carolina, Notre Baylor. Dame, Baylor. Yep. And like if if UConn beat Michigan, if Chandler Whitmer didn't throw that interception, like that's an incredible list that that's another podcast. But if you look at those deals, you know, Notre Dame, BYU, and then the bottom Liberty, UMass, there's like a middle tier where it's Yukon army Navy and service academies are weird. So you got to throw that out, but like, it makes sense to the Yukon is in the middle there. That makes sense for everyone involved. It, it's something that, you know, in once this deal is over, it's not out of the question that they're going to get another deal like that. Yeah. I don't think you can really argue at this point that not only is independent, not bad for UConn, like it's pretty objectively the best place for the program. Like, I don't think, there's a conference that can really give UConn what they can get realistically outside of like the power five ones. Yeah. And well, so we can get philosophical, a little philosophical here on, on it, but I mean, UConn could have succeeded in the AAC. It just would have required a smart forward thinking coach. And um, they did not have that at, at any point. You know, and uh, we'll see if they if we'll see what if they currently have one. Uh, but uh, you know, like it could have it could work. There's nothing that UConn. There's no reason UConn couldn't have been did done what Temple did in the AAC. For, quite yep. frankly, and Temple's been really solid. If you look at their football performance, we would love to have Temple's win loss record in football over the past four or five years, but. Uh, and, you know, remember, that was a program that got kicked out of the Big East for not having enough attendance and then only came back because <laughs> all those other schools left. So, um, you know, things can also just change relatively quickly. Um, and I think that's that's one of the things we should always remember. Like sports fans have the memory of goldfish and uh, they assume that like something that's bad has been bad forever and will be bad forever and that's just so not the case. So I think to, to be able to, again, 
have legitimate reasons for optimism for UConn football, that they can recruit better, that there can be more interest around the program. Uh, you know, good to see them moving in a solid direction. But I do want to say someone could have succeeded with UConn football in the AAC, um, just not a uh, psychopath who doesn't believe in offense or punt returns. Yeah, it, it is crazy, like, outside of – like out of the you know the serious sports like outside of baseball, in on paper, UConn football was in the best position to succeed and literally did the absolute worst out of all of the sports in the American, which is pretty crazy. And it's just you know sometimes the chips don't fall. Sometimes, like you said, you have a coach that you know is more focused on energy vampires and fish cakes and you know how nice Bradley Airport is than winning football games, uh, and Randy Etzel too. So it happens. 2009papajohns.com poll. All right, folks. Next up, we've got a conversation with Robert O'Neill, the manager of Big East Coast Bias. He runs uh, SB Nation's site for all things Big East sports. Hope you enjoy the, the conversation. All right, everyone. I'm thrilled to be joined here by Robert O'Neill. He's the manager of Big East Coast Bias. That's SB Nation's site for all things Big East sports. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's uh, nice to be here. It's uh, kind of crazy that UConn is coming back to the Big East in, what, about six weeks now? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What what um, what an interesting uh, background with which to be having this conversation in compared to, um, I think, some previous times where we've, we've interacted or, or exchanged Q&As. <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, the last couple of years it was, oh, UConn's playing Villanova or UConn's playing, you know, Georgetown or whatever. Let's link up and kind of see what we can do. But, you know, it kind of felt like this was inevitable for the past couple of years that uh, eventually the Big East and UConn would have a reunion. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember it was kind of a really um, like a budding rumor, maybe uh, around I want to say summer 2017 when, uh -huh. when there was kind of that big 12 flirtation that everyone had uh, that, that the bat league had with expansion. And I think that's when the rumors started circulating that, you know, UConn and the big East were having conversations, especially because if two more teams left the American, you know, then, then UConn's just on another sinking ship. Right. So um, it started from there, but I think, um, uh, from, from according to all the reports, it seems like the TV deal is really what was the final straw that broke the back there. But how was the Big East side of, of kind of just hearing these rumors about, you know, potentially a deal with UConn or, you know, UConn joining the league, um, you know, to the point where, where it finally that news did break? Yeah, I mean, I think it was interesting because I do remember hearing about it in 2017 and it did kind of feel like, you know, eventually this was something that was going to happen because UConn football kind of continued to not, you know, kind of be the big deal that I think the American and UConn thought it would be. Um, so it was like, you know, the Big East can afford to add another team. And, you know, there's always kind of been expansion rumors and people have been like, well, what about someone like Dayton or St. Louis? or And I mean, you know, it was always kind of, if they were going to do it, it would be, UConn or Gonzaga, and you really can't add Gonzaga to a conference where, you know, 60% of your teams play in Eastern time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, UConn was always kind of a natural fit to come back. And, uh, you know, I think when it 
actually happened when the rumors picked up again, there was only a couple days between the rumor picking up again and it actually being announced, which mm-hmm. was crazy, which was uh, last summer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I had actually, I had just, this is not a joke. I had just woken up from a nap after flying to London uh, and then woke up to the Big East news. It was the most surreal, surreal experience, but no, totally. It was, it was only a couple of days, but you know, the flare up had been happening a few more times, like more frequently, um, you know, like more, less time in between that rumor flaring up. Uh, so you're right. It was kind of, it did kind of seem like, um, writing on the wall. And yeah, I mean, you know, from, from your perspective, you mentioned, um, room for, for another team that's, you know, basically the scheduling value, uh, component there kind of be able to do 10 teams round Robin. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the big East already said that they wanted to go to a, a 20 game conference season anyway. So there was room for, you know, one more team and, you know, it, I think a lot of people like the double round robin quite a bit. And, you know, you can obviously keep it with 11 teams and going to 20 conference games, which is kind of the, the wave around the country anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, it's like uh, it's been it's been about seven years away uh, from the league now, but a lot of familiar names and faces, uh, some new ones. Uh, so why don't we go through some of the sports here and, and maybe you can help us just kind of catch up on what's been happening. Um, we'll start with, with men's basketball. I mean, you know, the standout story is, is clearly Villanova, I, I would say, but, um, you know, also a few kind of emerging stars or powers below that as well, right? Yeah, you know, um, and we'll get back to Villanova in just a second, but I think, you know, starting with, the three teams that UConn, you know, didn't have Big East experience with in Butler, Xavier, and Creighton, you know, all three have really uh, been a good addition to the conference. Uh, you know, Butler has cycled through a few coaches, but they've still kind of maintained that level of success. Um, you know, Xavier got to the Elite Eight with Chris Mack before he left. Now they're kind of trying to build it back up, but they got a lot of talent there. And, uh, you know, one of the teams other than Villanova to actually win the Big East. And then, uh, you know, Creighton coming in with Doug McDermott and, you know, being kind of the anchor of the conference that first year was really big. And then, you know, they, they've they had kind of a little bit of success. And then last year, you know, getting a share of the regular season title and then returning a lot of talent this year. So, you know, it really having picking those three teams and having them be successful has been a big part of kind of the expansion uh realignment in general because you know your teams like DePaul and St. John's haven't really done anything still yeah I was about to say that that's still the case you're still getting nothing from uh (laughs) nothing from St. John's constantly the sleeping giant yeah and I mean you know it's interesting with them because they had a pretty solid team you know the past last couple years with Steve Lavin and then decided to make a change to Chris Mullen which went terribly and uh you know the first year mike anderson last year was promising um it's just it's really all a matter of like it's always been with them where you know you get those local new york city kids to stay local which is going to be even tougher now i think with yukon back in the mix mm-hmm. yeah and, and uh just going back to those those new schools that you mentioned um butler xavier creighton 
have you been to any of those arenas? How are they like? Yeah, you know, um, I've been to uh, I've been to Hinkle and I went to uh, Synthes Center and I was going to go to CenturyLink, but uh, we got a snowstorm, so I couldn't go. Um, you know, it's a good environment. It's a uh, you know, I saw a couple complaints from you know UConn Twitter when the move was announced, where you know those three teams in the middle of the week isn't really a draw either way. And you know, I think it is. I think uh, it's a competitive game. It's a good environment, and if you are looking to you know, maybe take a trip to somewhere you haven't been to see a UConn game. You you could definitely do worse than those three. Sure. I mean, yeah, I would say if you if you saw that opinion somewhere, it's uh, probably not a representative of a majority opinion, um, especially uh, coming off of a league slate where we're playing East Carolina, Tulane. Uh, yeah. Some others uh, twice a year. So, um no, I mean, I think the, the the quality of those three schools in particular is is um, you can't question that. And then I think what what that really means for the league is that it just has really good quality. It seems top to bottom. Is that a fair way to assess? Yeah, I mean, and that's really the thing too. Is uh, you know, the in twenty nineteen they had all ten teams make it to a postseason tournament. I mean, you know, DePaul ended up in the CBI, which doesn't really count but you know still all 10 teams made it and you know it's it's tough uh there's a lot of talent in the conference and uh you know every game is really a struggle whereas you know you're not going to have an easy game you know there's been years where DePaul's taken you know Villanova to the limit there's been years where St. John's uh you know they had that year a couple years ago where they were awful and then beat Duke and Villanova in back-to-back games so you know you you never know Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I, I feel like um, we saw we saw Providence get some uh, wins of the Big East. Uh, I think they won the uh, the conference one year. Um, so mm-hmm. it all seems to have emerged uh, in a way that it uh, had not been for for quite some time. Um, again, you know, seemed like Villanova is has emerged as that the the top power. Um, who who would you put kind of below them in term right below them at like number two three four, um, in terms of success over the past seven years? Yeah, I mean you know that's where it gets interesting because they have won the Big East so many times, but you know you look at a team like Providence, I think they have benefited from uh, this new conference because you know I've, they made five straight NCAA tournaments in the time that UConn's been gone, which was something that they haven't done ever. Um, you know, Ed Cooley is uh, doing a great job up there. They have among the most wins uh, in the conference since, uh, you know, realignment. Um, so they're probably number two at the moment. Um, but, you know, you got a team like Creighton, you got a team like Xavier who had the success with Chris Mack. Um, and it's it's been uh, it's been really fun to watch. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just as, a, as an outside observer and, and – um, for the past couple of years as a jealous observer. Um, <clears throat> it just seems seems like there are a lot of um, really interesting talents across across different rosters. So um, uh, if there is a college basketball season next year, uh, who are kind of those players on the short list for, you know, league player of the year, or just, you know, standout guys that, you know, worth highlighting to UConn fans? Like heading into the season. 
Yeah, and I mean, that's the interesting thing, too, is that, you know, it's a really good time to be kind of coming back to the Big East because you're missing out on Miles Powell. You're missing out on Marcus Howard. Um, you know, they both graduated. You're missing out on a guy like Kamar Baldwin, who was, you know, very good at Butler for a long time. Um, you know, Villanova still has a lot of guys. They got a guy like Colin Gillespie, who is very good. You know, um, they have uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I'm not sure if he'll be back from the, uh, if he's uh, sticking in the draft or not. It's, you know, hard to say when they don't know when the draft is right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, those two guys, uh, you know, Creighton's returning a lot of talent, like we talked about. Uh, Marcus Zagorowski's the type of guy who can really do it all and uh, continue to develop in his sophomore year. Um, you know, and even someone like DePaul has a guy in uh, Romeo Weems who was a top 20 recruit coming into last year. And now, hmm. you know, they have Paul Reed going to the NBA. So he's going to probably step up in, uh, in Weems at least. And uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, you know, you, you look throughout the big East, there's probably one or two guys on every roster that you can circle and be like, you know, this is a guy that can really be someone we need to focus on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, <clears throat> UConn's got some of those in tow. Uh ready for you guys uh, once that season does hit and if it does. You know, one one school we haven't even talked about yet, which you might think would, would be uh, mentioned early and often in the conversation about this league is, is Georgetown. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I just realized as you were saying that, that we haven't brought them up yet. <laughs> and, you know, um, they fired John Thompson a couple of years ago, finally, and, you know, brought in Patrick Ewing and, things kind of started to look like they would turn around. And then earlier this year, they, uh, you know, lost James Akinjo and then Mac McClung transferred, I think last week. So Georgetown's in a position where they kind of have been for the past, you know, however many years where they really should be better than they are. And the results just aren't. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's really not an easy fix. You know, you thought maybe with, uh, with John Thompson not being there anymore, that it would improve just based on that. And it just hasn't, man. It's, mm-hmm. it's really, uh, it's really interesting to watch. Cause you know, that you, you're in such a basketball rich area. You have a historically yeah. great program. You would think that would be, you know, enough. And it just isn't. Yeah. I actually, I live in, in DC and, um, so much talent in the area and uh, a lot of excitement, even when they got kind of half decent, like you mentioned, you know, they were kind of on the up, um, but things kind of really fell apart and, and, and just in general, so shocking that they have not been able to be a player um, in this league when it seemed like, you know, what happened with Villanova could have just as well happened with them. Yeah, and I think it kind of felt like when the realignment happened, you know, you were expecting Villanova and Georgetown to kind of be the torchbearers. And, you know, one of them obviously has been. And then that second spot, like we've talked about, has been up for grabs, which I think has probably been a net positive for the league, having, you know, that parity and kind of diversity at the top. But it's it's still interesting, though. Mm-hmm. Great. So, yeah, I mean, that's been uh, a thorough catch-up uh, in, in men's hoops. Um, what can you tell us? Uh, I don't know if you've heard UConn uh, fans care a little bit about women's basketball. They got a solid team up there. So um, 
What what can you tell me about Big East women's basketball? Yeah, you know, I'm uh, I'm really excited for UConn to be back because you look at the Big East women's basketball. Um, it's been a lot of DePaul since uh, UConn mm-hmm. left. You know, Doug Bruno's been there for probably about 30 years now. Um, so he's been doing a great job there. You know, Marquette had a couple years where they look pretty good. Um, St. John's had a couple years, but there hasn't really been um, a team like UConn where it's just been one team on top the whole time, which is about to change because they're going to come in and they're going to be automatically the best team, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's not surprising just mm-hmm. based on their pedigree. And, you know, uh, and I think, you know, just asking about UConn's women basketball in general, just asking you a question, I know they've had kind of a couple years where they've made the final four, but they do have a little bit of a, of a title drought going for UConn standards. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, it's certainly on people's mind. Um, I, I think most people are, are really willing. There's, there's not a lot of panic, I would say among UConn fans. Um, Gino has given the fan base many, many, many reasons to, maintain confidence um they lost the past two years on last second shots in the final four uh Mm -hmm. times in overtime uh so i think and and you know they uh, i think you know close observers of the team will say that they didn't have a player who kind of had that that edge you know something like like what uh, they people praised Sabrina Ionescu for this past year, or or let's say uh, Brianna Stewart in previous years, and that may have been something that hindered them. But I mean, they still have been producing WNBA draft picks, uh, WNBA All Stars, and they did have a little bit of surprising. Just speaking to the to the quote unquote drought, they did have um, a couple of surprising kind of roster defections. Um, after the first Final Four loss, they lost Azare Stevens. She left with one year uh, eligible remaining. So there's been some things like that, but um, they have a really, really, really strong recruiting class coming in. And so um, I think most fans are expecting uh, that to change in, in a little bit. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, uh, like I said, it's a Big East women's basketball that's kind of – it's it's open so you know they can slide right in and they're going to be kind of the top team and you know I think part of it too is women's basketball has just evolved in the past 10 years to where there's just so much talent spread out all over the country which is cool to see for sure yeah and I mean I think again just uh, as an outside observer I mean we saw Seton Hall gave UConn a decent fight this year Um, there have been times where people are bullish about the progress of certain other teams it was georgetown at one point though that kind of fizzled too so um i think one of the things that yukon fans might be excited about when it comes to women's hoops and what the big east brings is just maybe that maybe and i know this is this is um a very uh big-headed view of the world but when you're yukon women's basketball you get to have that um but (laughs) But, you know, that it'll help lift other teams' recruiting. Um, that's something that we didn't see in the AAC, where it was like, you know, we gave we, you give your women's basketball greatness to this league, and then nine teams get to say, hey, we play UConn twice a year. Isn't that great? 
um, but they never really did anything with that. So I'm, if in terms of something I'm looking out for from the Big East, I'd love to see, um, I'd love to see the competition improve in this league in women's basketball. Uh, hopefully, as a result of that, in UConn. Yeah, I mean, I think that is really something we could all be looking forward to. You know, obviously, when uh, when UConn was in the Big East before, you had a team like Notre Dame alongside, who was already another top team, and they don't have that right now. So you're going to have to try and make that. You know, maybe elevated to Paul or Marquette. And I guess, um, unlike the rest of the college sports world, losing Rutgers was kind of a big deal, too. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, moving on from women's basketball, how about uh, baseball? You know, I mean, UConn's had a solid baseball team. I don't know how much you keep tabs on, on those guys, but uh, just built a new stadium. Uh, so, that'll open up the next time there's, <laughs> there's college baseball, whenever that may be. Um, but how is, uh, what's the lay of the land for, for Big East baseball? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's another thing that's kind of been all over the place. Um, you know, you got a team like St. John's that's been pretty good. You know, Creighton's always competitive just because, you know, they play in Omaha. Um, so that's a big recruiting mm-hmm. edge right there. Right. Um, and, you know, Xavier was good for a couple years. Other than that, though, it uh, it kind of varies. Um, you know, you get a school like Villanova or Butler that, doesn't really put too much uh, too much stock into baseball, so they're kind of always near the bottom. So, you know, if UConn can feel the team that's even, you know, remotely competitive, they are going to have a chance to make some noise. Nice. Um, the AAC was actually um, a pretty solid baseball league, believe it or not, uh, with uh, Tulane, East Carolina, Houston, uh, SMU, the Florida schools were decent, so... Um, I think that's the one place people say it was a, a downgrade for UConn. Obviously, nobody cares, um, but, but that is the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so another just aspect of the league I'd love to get your perspective on is um, the commissioner. So um, how do you feel about uh, Val Ackerman's leadership of the league? Yeah, you know, I think she's doing a great job. I think, uh, you know, you look at the Big East – in the past uh, few years, kind of like we've talked about, it's been a strong conference. Um, you know, I think when the realignment happened, a lot of people kind of thought that the Big East was going to be in some trouble, not having you know Syracuse, not having Louisville, not having UConn anymore. But uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the other teams have really been able to step up, I think. And a good part of that comes from her. And, uh, you know, I know on the men's basketball side, her second in command is uh, Stu Jackson, who worked in the NBA for a long time. So that's been... A really good thing to have as well um so yeah no i think i think it uh it automatically i think becomes easier to be a commissioner of a conference when you don't have to answer to football all the time <laughs> yeah. because you know basketball is the main focus so you can be more basketball centered you don't have to worry about you know whatever because i mean if you have football you're gonna put football over everything because that's the big money maker yeah so, you know, to have a commissioner like Val Ackerman who, you know, also help make sure that every Big East game is televised, which mm-hmm. is a big thing. For sure, yeah. I'm, uh, speaking of being televised, uh, what is the Big East uh, TV experience like? What's, uh, what's the Fox team? Uh, 
how have you uh, experienced the scheduling, uh, that kind of stuff? Yeah, you know, it's um, well, every Big East game is televised, every men's basketball game, and uh, I'm a lot of the women's basketball games. Um, you know, either Fox Sports One, Fox Sports Two, Fox Sports Network. Um, they have some CBS games. They have a few CBS Sports Network games, but those are starting to go away a little bit. Um, and then, you know, some of the games on Big Fox and CBS, obviously, but it's, it's really nice, um, you know, to not have to watch on the computer or whatever, not have to be paywalled, have a subscription service, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I know not everyone gets Fox Sports 2 in HD, I don't think, which is weird in... 2020 but uh you know you're not going to be in a situation where a ton of your games are on fox sports 2 so yeah it's mostly it's a lot of fox sports 1 um you know they do a 30 minute studio show before the games usually which is nice uh you know really putting a big focus on it and you know you'll get games where uh it's gus johnson bill raftery you'll get games where it's uh you know someone like donnie marshall uh, is there your Jim Jackson? It's it's a lot of familiar college basketball guys that you're going to get doing commentary, which I think is really nice too. Yeah, that's good. I mean, good announcing crew, um, and you get pretty good, if, from what I gathered, um, you know, just pretty good tip off times, right? Yeah. Um, so they pushed them back this year, where it was uh, at six thirty Eastern the first game for when they do double headers, which is nice because then the second one starts at about eight. Eastern yeah. instead of, you know, going later and, you know, having those late tip offs, you get a nine Eastern tip off or whatever. And no one really cares for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had a ton of nine, uh, nine PM tip offs. And, and um, we had a lot of Sunday games also. So. Yeah. And that's the thing that uh, is pretty rare in the big East, just because of the makeup of the schools, they don't play a ton of Sunday games. Um, which is nice. It's a lot of Saturdays. You'll get a lot of Saturdays where uh, every team is in action, which won't happen anymore, you know, because there's an odd number of teams now, but you'll have a lot of Saturdays where at least there's, you know, four or five games on. That's great. And I I also love the, what you said, the pregame show and the, you know, like dedicated coverage of it. Um, You know, just another component that, that we're kind of missing. Yeah, and I mean, once uh, once conference season starts, they also do a show on Fox Sports 1 called uh, Inside the Big East, which is kind of an expanded look at how the conference is. That's kind of a weekly show where they, you know, talk to some coaches, do some feature stories. So it is it is really nice. You know, Fox has uh, really dedicated a lot of resources to the Big East. That is, that is good to hear. Uh, resources are always good. So, um Let's, uh, we're, I'm approaching the, the end of my line of questioning here, but did want to sh- a little bit of time just chatting about the fan bases. Um, you know, it really get inside the psyche of some of these, these groups, um, especially the newer ones. Anything important we need to, we need to know about Butler fans, Xavier fans, Creighton fans, and of course, by that I mean online fans of these schools yeah i mean it's interesting you know uh the butler and xavier fans don't really like each other which goes back to you know they've been in the same conference for a while so and you know the geographic proximity but you know for the most part everyone is uh pretty nice to each other which is cool i guess i mean you know it's it's interesting it depends how you feel about conference pride because 
you know, do you root for the Big East team in the NCAA tournament? Or once your team's out, do you not care about the rest of the conference? And, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, but it, it kind of skews a lot towards people will root for the Big East. Um, you know, there's there's kind of rivalries where you have, like, a lot of fan bases are starting to not like Villanova, saying, you know, they get all the calls or whatever, the, the things that you hear when they're on top for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, overall, it's... It's a pretty nice group online, surprisingly. Um, and you know, it's it's good to see. Um, I know, I know a lot of uh, there's some uh, UConn Providence beef already, which is yeah. good. Yeah. You know, you you do want to bring a little of that in. That's good to have too. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, to talk about things that we missed, we miss animosity. I mean, the the only thing. <laughs> You know, we had animosity towards AAC schools, but it had nothing to do with really, you know, caring about college sports. Nobody, nobody felt anything, you know, about beating Houston or SMU, even if they were good uh, at basketball. But uh, make it an old Big East rival, uh, and and that's got got yourself uh, some some fuel to the fire. Um, we're also excited to go to road games uh, because we weren't doing any of that. Uh, really in the AAC either. Yeah, and I mean, you know, um, I am from the Midwest. I'm from Chicago originally. I live in St. Louis, but I can't I can't recommend a city like Chicago, Milwaukee, or Indianapolis uh, highly enough. You know, uh, you know, just seeing Hinkle Fieldhouse in the first place is something that you should put on your list. But, you know, Indianapolis is a really nice city if you uh, can get good weather when you go and it's not, you know, 20 degrees or whatever. But mm-hmm. even... Even if it is, it is really a nice, you know, mid-sized city to spend a weekend in. So, and, you know, that doesn't even get into the places like Philadelphia or New York where, you know, it's it's not hard to get there at all. Yeah, I mean, I think pretty much every UConn fan is circling uh, any opportunity, of course, at MSG and then, and then Villanova as well. Um, but, yeah, I totally agree with you, actually, about Indianapolis. The 2016... Final four was there. So that was mm-hmm. the final four was there. So that was the Brianna Stewart, Mariah Jefferson four in a row year. Um, and that was held in Indianapolis. And uh, yeah, I mean, everything went, went really well. And it was, it was a nice, nice little city. So to- totally agree with you on, on that one as well. Yeah. And I mean, I think, uh, you know, with Indianapolis in particular, I think you get a little surprised with how, you know, it's, it's above your expectations and, you know, you're going to feel that same way about Milwaukee. And then obviously, you know, going somewhere like Chicago to see, you know, UConn play DePaul, which probably wouldn't be much of a game, but DePaul's got a brand new stadium kind of on the lakefront right by everything. And they got the hotels right there. So it's, <laughs> it's really, uh, it's really a good time. Did they have the, the women's basketball tournament in Chicago? They did. Okay, is that is that um, an every year thing, or what's the what's the deal with that? Um, I know it's been in Milwaukee before, um, but I think now that DePaul has the new arena, they are going to try and keep it there. Um, I don't believe they're going to rotate too much, which you know I don't blame them because DePaul's got the new arena. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I know. Uh, yeah, I don't know that they've announced where it's going to be next year yet, but a lot of stuff obviously hasn't been announced for next season yet. So, sure, sure. you know. Well, um, I know that there will be tens of thousands of UConn fans at the ready for, for wherever it does end up being the um, 
I don't know if you know the AAC hosted at Mohegan Sun Casino, uh, mm. where the CT Sun play. So uh, that was a convenient location for for everyone, and it worked out. They sold out the the, the space as well. Yeah, and then uh, you know, for the men's tournament, there's a little bit of a difference playing at Madison Square Garden <laughs> compared to going to Fort Worth. Yes, yes. Thank you for, for reminding <laughs> me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I have to say, in terms of some of the the real slaps to the face uh, that that were the AAC experience. Um, that three-year deal to play in Fort Worth for the conference tournament every year uh, for the men's tournament was was definitely one of the the low points for sure. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know you don't have to worry about the uh, Big East tournament leaving Madison Square Garden for quite a while. Yeah, for sure. And wh- where do they do baseball? Uh, baseball is in Omaha now. Nice. That's cool. So, yes, I mean, it's cool. You're in the college world series venue. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, this has been a, been a great conversation, Robert. Uh, wanted to thank you so much for, for your time and insight. Any final comments, uh, for UConn fans as they embark on this re-entry to the big East? Yeah. You know, I think, uh, we're just really excited to have UConn back. Um, and I think it's going to be really good for both sides. And, uh, you know, I am pretty excited to get another live animal mascot in the conference. Yes, yes. Um, we're, we are big fans of, uh, you know, Butler Blue, Georgetown Jack, and now Jonathan. So, yeah, it'll be good. Yes, awesome. Well, thank you very much, uh, and thank you for the time. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up sometime later as well. Yeah, thanks. That's going to do it for us here at the Yukon Pod. For Dan and Daniel, this is Amon. Thank you all for listening.